Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Thursday afternoon. Joining me from Boston, Massachusetts is Tim Bontemps. Howdy, everybody. And joining me from Dallas, Texas is Ben McMahon. Howdy, partners. And that's a trademark on howdy, okay? You don't say howdy in Boston. The hell you I'm think not from? You, I'm not what, from here, so you, I, you don't say howdy in upstate New York. Do not be oh, infringing on do. my howdy trademark. Damn, you it. definitely do. You definitely do say howdy up there. Hmm. Farm All country. Right, well, he still spent more time in New England than you, Bontemps. Just want to point that out. That is true. That is true. Um. All right. So we're a week into the NBA season. A little, a little over a week in the NBA season. Um, seen quite a bit. Um. I can't believe it, but I've already been in five NBA arenas already this year. It's crazy. It's terrific. I'm pleased about it a lot. So um, still too early to um, really form any ironclad beliefs, of course. But there's some stuff going on that I want your guys' opinion on about whether this is something to something to pay attention to or just a little blip. And um, I want to start with... James Harden and Mm. his dramatic fall off in scoring. Now he has only played five games. So let's just keep that in mind. Um, But he is only, only averaging 16 and a half points a game. Obviously, if you've been paying attention at all to the league, you've seen that his free throw uh, numbers uh, have crashed. He's he's only getting the line three times a game and he's the poster boy for the new rules. Uh, I talked about this on my pod uh, a little bit earlier this week, but um, I want to know, you know, you know him well, McMahon. Um, you know, he, at I went back, I was pretty sure he said this. So I went back actually today and listened because I was at Nets media day mm-hmm. and he said his hamstring was a hundred percent, but then he said yesterday that he's still getting into form because he was obviously recovering as opposed to training in the offseason. Um, although I remember hearing plenty of, oh, he's going to be much better this year than he was last year sort of stuff. He is pointing toward form, and I'm sure that that's true. But um, what do you make of his diff- – by the way, the Nets, who last year were the number one offensive team of all time, all time, uh, and they only had seven games with their big three together. So it wasn't just based on that. When they had two of the three throughout the season, they were dominant too. So we're talking about still a juggernaut offensively. Mm-hmm. Right now, coming into tonight's games, and I know you're going to see swings. Right now, they're 21st in offense uh, five games in. They're actually, um, according to NBA.com's uh, offensive rating, they're tied for 27th with the uh, juggernaut offensive team that is the Oklahoma City Thunder. You are right. I had that number confused. It's 27. Thank goodness Baisley dunked there to pad that offense rate. <laughs> the By the way, That's Russell, right. Russell, Russell Westbrook, the uh, the NBA's guide for stat padding etiquette. I love it. Give me a freaking break. <laughs> right. Uh, thank you. Uh, he had a quadruple double uh, Wednesday night, yes. if I'm not mistaken. That's he had correct. a quadruple double, and he also should get almost a quintuple double because you can't have more than two technicals. So if you get two technicals, that should, you know, that you filled up that, that uh, column as well. Um, it was the complete Russell Westbrook experience. 
Uh, our ace producer, Andrew Pelkey, asked me if that was a quadruple. Our ace producer, Andrew Pelkey, at the Celtics game last night, asked me if that was a quadruple double. And I said, Russ has had plenty of those in his career. There have been 16 in NBA history. He has six of them. Yes. Wow. That's a great stat. Oh, my God. Um, But let's let's get back to that other Rockets, former Rockets guard, James Harden. And, you know, obviously there, there's this huge spotlight on the rules changes and, and that, the impact on him. And, you know, it's, that's not nothing, but that is not what would be concerning to me if I'm a Nets fan, a Nets, you know, coach, front office guy. Um, and look, when Harden, like I, yes, it's an excuse when he's talking about he wasn't able to train, wasn't able to play pickup all uh, offseason. He was rehabbing, but it's, it's, it's a reason. It's legitimate. Now, so to me, you look at Harden, the, the fact that he's not getting the line hardly at all, a little bit of that is the rules changes. A lot of that is he does not have any burst. He's not getting to the rim at all. You look at like typical James Harden, he would get, you know, in that restricted area, he'd get five, six, seven uh, attempts per game. That's down. He's had 18 in, in, in five games. That to me is a much bigger concern. He looks a little heavy. He, he, he lacks burst. And look, when you, you know, when you talk about like teams who are considering, do they throw the whole farm at the Rockets last year for Harden? Let's be straight up. One of the, now, there are plenty of teams that were interested, but one of the significant concerns about Harden was how will he age? How will he age with that body type? And how will he age with that lifestyle? Uh, you know, I, I'm not saying he's, he's, I don't know if he's, you know, flying to Vegas on off days still, or, you know, I don't, I don't know how he's, I'm just saying you do that kind of stuff for 10, 12 years, it tends to catch up to you. Um, and I, I think he's dealing with a little bit of that. If Harden is going to get back to being, you know, the all NBA force that obviously he's been forever and that the Nets need him to be, he's going to have to be extremely disciplined, much more so than he ever has been. Well, certainly, certainly that is true. And, and I do think when you watch him play, you know, Nate Duncan, who I know listened to this pod at some point, you know, he's a fan of the pod. He uh, he has said that Hart has become a caricature of himself in both his style of play and his attempt to draw fouls. And when you're watching these games, like I watched the Heat Nets game from Wednesday night earlier today before the pod. And it's true. Like there are four or five plays in that game where James Harden had to step on somebody and just try to draw a foul instead of going to the rim. Like one time he had Bam out of bio beat, he had him on his hip and rather than just going to the rim for a layup, he tried to jump into Bam and like fling the ball in the air for a turnover. Another time he had an open path to the, to the rim and he tried to draw a foul and flung the ball out of bounds. Like he, I think he's totally in his head about these foul rules in part because he has really built himself into this player that either draws a foul or takes a step back three after a bunch of dribbles. Right? So Sometimes even when he has the ball open, he kind of dribbles around a bit before he shoots it because he like gets in this thing where he's got to dribble the ball first. So I think that's some of it. He's talked a bunch about how the hamstring injury kind of limited his offseason work and he feels rusty. Um, I'm sure that's part of it, too. And the other thing is just the Nets in general being around them some over the past couple weeks. They're sort of just acting like this is the preseason still. They're playing some wild lineups that they're not going to play in games that matter. Uh, yesterday, there was at one point when they had both Harden and Durant off the court and they had this all bench lineup out there with Joe Harris um, as the one guy who could score. Nobody could really create. Um, so I don't think there's a lot to really read into long term with them. I think they're ultimately going to be fine. But 
I do wonder, you know, if you take three or four free throws a game off James Harden's tally and you look at him, maybe losing another step as he gets a little older in his career, he certainly isn't guarding anybody still. Um, it will be interesting to see, is he a guy that's still a top five to 10 player in the league, or is he a guy that's a top 25 player in the league or top 20 player in the league? And if he's that guy, instead of an MVP candidate, well, all of a sudden, you know, whether the Kyrie Irving situation resolves itself or not, that's not the Nets team everybody thought was coming into the mm-hmm. season, right? That was Kevin Durant, maybe the best player in the league, James Harden, one of the five or six or seven or eight best players in the league, and then a collection of role players around him. If it's, if it's Kevin Durant and a guy who's, you know, a borderline all NBA player instead of a consensus top five to 10 guy, you know, then I think you start to wonder is the net ceiling a little different than we thought. I, I, I still love his skill set as a player. I do think McMahon is right that, uh, so, you know, part of the reason why he gets the line so much is because he can get the drop on guys. You know, everybody goes freaking crazy when he would shoot a three and, you know, he would wear, you know, giant padding on his lower half and to avoid spraining his ankle, he would essentially plan to land on his backside and he would get fouled all the time. That definitely was a source of a lot of his free throws, but also he would get by guys on the perimeter and those guys would be chasing him. And then he would put his hands out and throw his hands into those guys to get fouls, which he got because he was so good off the dribble to get to the basket. And so if he's not able to get that corner turn, that's going to be an issue. Um, but I do think he's just got to rewire um, because like I was watching him last night and there were times where he was in transition, where he was going one on three, he didn't have numbers. And his reaction to that was to try to fling himself into somebody to get a foul. Mm-hmm. No, when you're one on three, you hold it up. <laughs> you know, I guess if you're Giannis, you, you take uh, you know, you take three steps from the, from the foul line or from the three point line and you just dunk it. It doesn't matter how many people are there, but you know, when you're one on three, you pull up, but he is so wired to force that action that, you know, now the officials, now that they, they're just flat out brazen, you know, in the past they had to, to whistle it, even though they probably didn't like it, the rules are the rules and they called the foul. Now they're like, we're definitely not giving this to you now. Almost, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, it's a, it's an opportunity to sort of to get even on him. Um, Which by the way, has made the gameplay way better. Like the games have been awesome overall this first week from a flow standpoint, because there's just a lot less of these fouls being called. Also, and I no, think the games no are a lot better game. as a result no late game reviews. Yes. Um, that has also been a massive change in a positive direction. The review, yeah. the review changes on that. That's been huge. Yeah. So I am still wagering on Harden rounding into form. It just being early, but the, the way he looks is, is definitely something that's a yellow flag, not an mm-hmm. orange flag yet, not a red flag, but it's a yellow flag. And I think that's a fair way to look at it. Well, and the other yeah. thing about the Nets, too, is that they only have um, they really only have Harden, Durant and Patty Mills right now who could create a shot like the rest of their guys are pretty much either catch and shoot guys like Joe Harris or, you know, Blake at this point, um, or they're just not offensive players, guys like Bruce Brown or Javon Carter or Nick Claxton. You know, he's kind of just a finisher at the rim. Right. Mm-hmm. So you don't have there's not a lot of ways for them to get easy baskets if it's not Harden or Durant doing it themselves for other guys or Patty Mills kind of breaking down the defense off the dribble. So I think that's part of it too. And that is where maybe they like Durant has alluded to, maybe they felt Kyrie a little more being out a little more than they expected because there aren't a lot of guys on that team who can generate shots. And I think that's made their offense bogged down a little more than they would have guessed. 
Right, but if you but, have the if you have the Harden who can get you know thirty points and ten assists in his sleep, it's yep. you know it doesn't matter. Yeah, um, that Harden, you know, maybe we see that guy in two or three weeks after he's able to you know get back in in shape and and get a little bit of rhythm. Um, yep. but they they need him, and you know that thing like Blake was pretty damn good, and Blake does when Blake is good, he was pretty damn good for him last year. When he's good. You know, he's not a primary shot creator, but he has some shot creating ability. Blake looks creaky. He he looks like a guy who drives a Kia, not a guy who jumps over. <laughs> <a Kia. laughs> um, yeah. Meanwhile, Spencer Dinwiddie, the guy who they you know signed and traded. Which look, I, I they didn't want to pay him. They got a lot of money on this roster. I'm not even. I'm just saying, coming off of an Achilles, a partial Achilles, a partial uh, ACL tear, he's averaging 20 points. He's he's uh, yet to miss a free throw. He's he's something like I don't let me see what he is from the line. He's uh, he's he hasn't missed a free throw in months. He's thirteen or thirteen from the line to start the season. They play uh, tonight, so now I've just jinxed him. Um, but uh, the Wizards are three and one. You saw thirteen to thirteen. Night. That used to be a quarter for Harden. <laughs> right. You're not even kidding. Um, he's shooting fifty three percent effective field goal percentage, fifty uh, percent on threes. I know you saw the Wizards um, Wednesday night, Bontemps. They won in uh, Boston. Beal didn't even play that well. Nope. Um, in fact, Beal hasn't played that well so far this year, quite frankly. Um, uh, Wizards are three and one. Uh, what do we feel about that? I think the Wizards are good. I think they're a legitimately good team. And, you know, Wes Unsell, uh, Wes Unsell Jr., new coach there. Um, obviously, his dad has a ton of history with the Wizards. Um, slash bullets also should say, uh, you know, he was pretty shook up before the game yesterday. Brian wrote the obit about Bob Ferry passing away. Danny Ferry's dad, he was the GM of the team when Wes Unsell was a player there. Um, but he, he has done a remarkable job early on with his team. And I got to say, you know, McMahon mentioned Russell Westbrook before. If you're the Wizards, they turned Russell Westbrook in that trade into Spencer Dinwiddie, Montres Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, and Contavious Caldwell Pope. And now look, if you're trying to win a championship, you probably don't want to be playing guys like Montrez, a guy like Montrez Harrell, a lot of minutes. But as we've seen in the it's past, problematic those, since the last two years, he's been on championship contenders. Well, that's that's true. But <laughs> when you saw a couple of years ago when the Clippers were the sixth seed and won 45 games, right? And even last year, you know, two years ago when he won the sixth man of the year award with the Clippers, he is a dominant force at times in the regular season. He had 25 and 12 in that game last night. Power them to a win after Daniel Gafford he's especially got hurt he, at the beginning. He's averaging 18 points, nine rebounds. He was always a hot, he was always a guy, one of the highest field goal percentages in the league, but he's shooting 68% from the field. He's, he is back to that Clippers. Yeah. He's, he's uh, been pre Kawhi numbers. Absolutely. He's playing great. And they just have a lot of bodies, like quality NBA rotation players. Obviously, Bradley Beal's their best player. He hasn't even played that great yet, but Spencer Dinwiddie at this point to me is probably better than Russell Westbrook in a vacuum. And you add in these other well, players, he's going to put up more efficient numbers than Westbrook is in terms of shooting from range, shooting uh, from the line uh, turnovers ratio. He's going to be more efficient than him probably. Yeah. And I just, I just think when you look at this team overall, they've got 10 or 11 NBA rotation players on their team. And if you're trying to get like the wizards want to try to take a step and get you know, be a top six team in the East this year, which a lot of teams do. It's going to be hard to do that. I think they've got a real shot to do it with this group. 
Um, I, I think they're going to be hard to play every night. They play pretty fast. They've held up on defense. Okay. Their bench is really good. Um, you know, I, I, I was really impressed by them and they've, they've gotten off to a pretty good start and I'm curious to see if they can keep it going. So small sample size here, a handful of games. Kyle Kuzma has averaged five rebounds a game in his career. You know, never been his, uh, his uh, MO. They always want him, you know, Luke Walt wanted him to run and all this stuff. He's averaging 12 rebounds a game. Yep. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and each body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Like, hello? (laughs) When did Kyle Kuzma become a a rebound getter? Get him away from Hollywood and and he's got some toughness to him now. Uh-huh. I see. Um, yeah, so the Wizards, uh, one of the teams uh, off to a good start. Um, another team off to a good start who had a great win for them. I mean, we have to count it as a great win for them. Wednesday night in Milwaukee, the Minnesota Timberwolves off to a great start, 3-1, and one, one in Milwaukee. Um, Timberwolves have been a horrific defensive team i know the one thing you look at when you see the wolves anthony edwards puts up you know numbers not always efficient but puts up numbers obviously cap puts up numbers in this game d'angelo russell put up numbers and that's what you look at but this has been a horrible defensive team uh they've been bottom five in defense um most for the last couple years and carl towns has been an extraordinarily extraordinary disappointment defensively from early on in his career where he showed like he could really have uh, be a terrific versatile defender. Um, They are playing at least in the early going here, excellent defense. They come into today, number two in the league in defensive efficiency. Um, Chris Finch, who came in in the middle of last year, changed some of their schemes. And um, so far uh, the, 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 the players are, are buying in on it. And they're being way more aggressive because when they looked at their roster, they said, you know, we don't have tremendously talented defensive players, but there's a lot of athleticism. So they are one of these teams that is trying to jump into passing lanes, trying to create turnovers, defense to offense, and in a very small sample size. And look, this team has been horrible for 15 years. Mm -hmm. So 
small sample size doesn't mean nothing, McMahon. They are actually uh, causing turnovers and getting things done. And so I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs in the West, but I'm saying here we are. Let's acknowledge that the Timberwolves are doing positive things at the start of the season. I, I think they're definitely an interesting team. And, you know, the one guy they have that I think can be a really disruptive defender is Josh Okogie. Uh, you know, the, the, the question is, can he, you know, not muck up the offense enough to where you can play him significant minutes? Um, you know, Edwards is is going to be a star. Carl Anthony Towns, I, I like where he is in his career. And we've talked about this before, where he kind of is at the point where he realizes his rep is as a guy who's put up big numbers but hasn't won anything. And, you know, he definitely is determined to, uh, you know, prove that he can win in the league. Um, I just – I can't believe in a team that that's starting D'Angelo Russell at point guard. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I do, I'm not going to – like, I'm not going to sugarcoat yeah. it. I can't. I, I well, like – like, I enjoy – Anthony Edwards is a blast. But I just – you know. Best quote in the league, too. <laughs> yeah. But what Especially did you say last he, night, Bon Temps? What was this thing about uh, Giannis? I can't remember now. He, uh, it was, he, it was uh, – go ahead, it, man. Instead of – well – he turned a 12 letter cuss word into a an eight letter cuss word uh, as seven two two. It basically said you, you can't you can't you know he basically like the guy's seven two two eight. He's an absolute freak. You're not going to stop him scoring, but he said it in much more colorful uh, phrase. He's neither seven two or two eighty, but I know how it felt like it. But felt let, like yeah, you you try to keep him from getting in the rim. You think he's seven two two eighty also, right? Um, but you know, I just. I could see the Wolves being in that play and mix. I, you know, I think they've well, got that, a chance And that's the there. question. That's the question, right? Like when you talk about believing in them, I'm with you, big man. Like I don't believe in them as a real team, like to do damage with D'Angelo Russell as their point guard. But the question is, can they finish 10th? Right. That's all yeah. they're trying to do. Can they finish 10th? And their competition is. It'll be amazing. The if they finish 10th, they would have a parade. Right. They've, and they're, they're competing with the Spurs, the Kings and the Pelicans to finish 10th. I, I mean, they've. I think they should feel pretty good as of today about their chances of beating out those teams to finish 10th. And if they do, to Brian's point, they're going to be thrilled. Yeah, That's although what their will, season's about. I will say that the Kings have, have shown a pulse. That there yeah. are, there are yeah. I think there's, as, <laughs> this is damning with faint praise, there is as much legitimate reason for optimism in Sacramento as there's been in a decade or so. Well, and that's another team that if they finish 10th, they're going to be throwing a parade. Like all, both right. those teams just want to be in the playing tournament. If they're in the playing tournament for game 83, they're going to be thrilled. So, you know, and that to me right now, I'm with you. Those are the two teams I think are have the inside track on that 10th spot. I don't think the Spurs are that good. And the Pelicans, as we know, with the Zion situation are just a dumpster fire. So yeah. it's hard to see them being there. Well, I tell so, you what, I'm I'm optimistic about OKC after watching last night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll get to that later. Um, the Anthony Edwards is taking 10 threes a game so far, and he's making 37%, way too early to really take any uh, into that. But I'm just going to say they obviously want him to, to, to chuck him because he's shooting 10 a game, you know. I always go back to my one of my favorite quotes of all time from World Be Free, who was a legendary chucker in the 80s. And he said, it's hard to average 20 in the NBA. <laughs> and the reporter said, points? No, shots! But um, you know what? If, that that's that's a legitimate point. And I yeah. like Anthony Edwards, he's a guy who I think for the next couple of years, you shouldn't really worry about his efficiency because he's developing, he's going to develop into 
one of the great scorers in the league. And so I think the next couple of years, you know, he should be kind of trying to test his limits and stretch his limits and, you know, figure things out. And there might be some, you know, five for 23s in there. And that that's well, all he right. He's taking, well, by the way, he's shooting three shots a night. <laughs> well, listen, he's, he's shooting 10 threes a game at 36% clip. That's fine. I mean, oh yeah, obviously oh, you'd yeah. like him to shoot better, but if he's hitting if he's hitting thirty six percent of his threes, that's fine. Right. Like that's more than I know. Good. It's yeah. early, but man, that's uh, and, so- and let me tell you, when he gets downhill, wee, I mean that yeah, is he, a linebacker who can fly. I mean, since the yeah. second half of last season, he's really taken off. I mean, he's he's a he's a really exciting piece, and with him in Towns, and I'll tell you what, Chris Finch, like you said, Brian, I mean, Chris Finch is a guy like Nick Nurse spent a long time overseas. You know, spent a long time in the G League. That guy knows how to coach. And like that team, you know, they're going to be ready to go. I, I think they're, you know, they, they've got a chance to do what they want to do this year, which would be a real step forward for them. Okay, another team uh, worth keeping an eye on that uh, just won uh, in Denver and against the Clippers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and beat Atlanta. Uh, and beat Atlanta at home before starting this West Coast trip. Um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions are actually in Cleveland this year. You know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is in Cleveland, um, but they only have the inductions there like once every five years or something like that. I don't know, once every three, four years. Well, that's because uh, what Joakim is, Noah said. Who wants to go to Cleveland? You ever heard anybody uh, plan a vacation in Cleveland? <laughs> Congrats to Joakim who's having his, uh, is it, is not, is not his number retired like he's being honored. No, he's being, yeah. he's, he's become a Bulls ambassador doing his Joakim Noah to night your, tonight. The standard to get your number retired in Chicago is somewhat high. When <laughs> you see those guys are up there, uh, shout out to to Joakim Noah. I will say this: Joakim Noah's ambassador party, I guarantee you, will be enjoyable. <laughs> I had a big Man. shindig last night for him. Everybody, uh, everybody was back in town for it, so yeah. should be a fun, I, fun uh, night tonight. Knicks and the the Bulls and the old Knicks head to head. I um, yeah, Tibbs Tibbs is in town for for Joe Noah, who he. Wore him, he wore him right down to the nub. I'm sorry to say, but those were uh, great years. I covered so many of those Bulls teams trying to beat LeBron. They never could. Um, but it was, I really always enjoyed covering Joe Noah. But anyway, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions are in Cleveland and they're at the arena. So that means the Cavs have got to go on. I think they're the first team to make a big uh, coastal road trip from one conference to the other. Mm. And the Cavs are out west in the first week of the season. They have started on like a five-game West Coast trip, uh, and they are three and two. And um, they have not shown um, this much life since LeBron left. I know we're only talking about five games. And what I mean by life, they actually were playing halfway decent last season, and then they made the Jared Allen trade, which they had to make. Yeah. Um, but they, um, but they, they just weren't the same team after that. Kind of derailed them. But I, when game, I say five game overreaction, Jared Allen's the best player in that deal. <laughs> right. <laughs> when, <laughs> when they, um, when they were playing that way, when you looked at them, it wasn't, you know, wasn't really sustainable. When you look at what they're doing now, they're doing something very interesting. They are playing super big, and I mean super big. Munchkins are, in the backcourt, and then seven footers everywhere else. That's right. Uh, I don't, I, uh, I don't know if Jared Allen is really a seven footer, but, uh, but whatever you're with, right. with his fro is about seven foot nine. <laughs> it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful uh, piece of hair. Um, by the way, Jared Allen, who signed a hundred million dollar contract in the off season, 
Um, he's shooting 75% from the field. And, and not not just on dunks. Like he's he's knocking down some jump. I saw him knock down a little dirk one legger that it might have been last night or the other night. Uh showing nice touch around. And obviously, you know, he's going to be able to finish, but like he's shown some pretty significant offensive development. He's a nice so, player. So they, they did the deal for Larry Markkinen, which not many people understood. It didn't look like it was going to fit. There was some question about whether they could even play Jared Allen and, and Evan Mobley together. And not only are they playing them together, they're starting Markkinen at the three. Which and is not which, going to work long term. Let's I just agree. say that now. It's not going to work. I agree. Um, and I don't even know if this team is going to continue to play this way long term. But having said that, what we have seen and the reason that there's a, by the way, they held the Clippers to 79 points uh, Wednesday night. Now, bad nights happen. Clippers had an off night, whatever. You don't see many games in the NBA in 2021 where a team doesn't crack 80, especially on their home court. And I'm going to tell you why. Because Evan Mobley is looking like a defensive wonderkind. Oh, he's unbelievable. Um, so this is from Micah Adams, who used to work with us at ESPN, but always has terrific stats. He is contesting 18.4 shots per game, far and away the most in the NBA. He's contesting 7.2 threes per game. Uh, he is defending. He is absolutely defending one through five. He is switching everywhere. So, sometimes all at the same time. <laughs> And um, I was talking to some people with the Cavs and, you know, he played in summer league after getting drafted third and he did not fare well in summer league. And uh, when you looked at him, even when he was drafted, you could tell he was a lightweight, you know, he, you know, he's 19 years old and, you know, he's going to need some time. Uh, so he really was upset with the way he played in summer league. And so he asked the Cavs to do extra work. They sent one of their development guys, Derek Millinder, out to L.A. where he was uh, living in the offseason. And they worked out every day. Now, obviously, it's not unusual for an NBA player to work out every day. It's not like this is unheard of. But he really wanted to focus on strength work. And so he's added strength between summer league and now. And his will defensively is on another, another level. Now, do I – this is what the Cavs are saying internally. They – believe that he is talented enough and playing strong enough that he, he could compete to be on one of the all defensive teams as a rookie this is an, un, the, hey, this is there, an unheard but of there's two of them there's thing. two of them davion mitchell too in sacramento right. there's two legit right. i mean obviously very early but two right. guys in this rookie class who i think could legitimately contend for all defensive honors this year yes so uh, Jer and Evan Mobley, and uh, you know Sexton is having some games, and and you know he's doing that. But that you know they Isaac Okoro, who they drafted last year, who they like, they put him, um, on the bench. Coming, he's coming he, off and, the bench, and he's now. he's the only wing on the entire roster. I know they're it's still not a balanced roster, and I agree with Bontemps. This is going to catch up with them. Uh, um, but well, and you haven't he, you haven't talked about the one guy that's really driven a lot of this to me, even more than Evan yes. Mobley, is I'm, Ricky I'm Rubio. Yeah. So, so they traded for Rubio. They, in the Larry Nance trade, uh, no, that was a different trade. What did they send for Rubio? I forget. I forget now. They, uh, oh. Torian Prince was traded to right. Minnesota to save Minnesota money, I believe was the, the reason mm -hmm. for that. That's right. Cause well, they were up against the tax and they all, and so they sent Rubio to Cleveland without getting too far over my skis and getting aggregated too much. Ricky Rubio, from what I understand, was not thrilled about being traded to Cleveland. 
And at his point in his career, I don't really blame him. And well, I think also it, it was like the 14th time he was traded in the last two years. <laughs> right. He you know? signed thinking he was going to be playing alongside Devin Booker in Phoenix. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's in Cleveland. Um, okay. So it took some convincing to get Rubio uh, sold on. This was the best place for him. And so, but whatever they did, they got Rubio focused and he is providing very level-headed, competent uh, ball handling and execution, which considering the last couple of years, they've played with very young and sometimes very wild guards. Putting Rubio out there makes a difference. Now, again, I don't know, Bontemps, whether this is going to last for very long in Cleveland, but if nothing else, the guy they gave $100 million to looks like he can play alongside the number three overall pick, at least for now. Mm. And the number three overall pick looks like a potential defensive, dominating defensive player for a long time. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click Ranger.com or just stop by. Yeah, I mean, look, the team isn't going to be very good, right? I mean, Larry Markin is playing the three. That's a disaster. Like the man said, they have no wings on the team other than Isaac Okoro. Uh, He might legitimately be the only wing on the team, and he's kind of an undersized wing himself, right? So they are going to have problems as the year goes along. But all that really matters for the Cavs is after years and years of drafting guys and having, you you know, mediocre to decent players, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, uh, Isaac Okoro, all fine players. Evan Mobley looks like a guy who's going to be a franchise centerpiece, which the Cavs Mm -hmm. desperately needed. And you look at these teams at the top of the draft this year. I know Cade Cunningham hasn't played yet, but Jalen Green goes to Houston. They jump up. They get a guy who looks like he could be a franchise centerpiece. Mobley looks like a franchise centerpiece. Scotty Barnes looks like a franchise centerpiece. Jalen Suggs has been off to a bit of a slow start. I think he's going to be really good. Josh Giddy looks really good. The top Mm -hmm. of this draft has looked really, really good so far. And that's even before you get the guys like Davion Mitchell and some of these guys farther down that look good. But, you know, look, Rubio's played great. I think through a week, he's been the sixth man of the year. He has really powered oh, them in these wins. The Cavs got an all the defensive player and sixth man of the year. Well, look, okay. let's it's, a, to him now. It's, it's six man of the week. Okay. Well, I'm just let, saying, let, let, I'm let's, just, not, let's sure. not do a year. I'm not, yet. no, well, sure. But through the first five games, he has been a hugely impactful guy off the bench for them. Like having a, having a point guard of his caliber coming off the bench and playing 30 minutes a game is a huge benefit to a team, especially like you said, a young team like this, that it was, has not always looked organized in recent years. So I think again, for a Cavs team, that's trying to climb back up the mountain and want some positive momentum in the right direction. Mobley alone is enough for them. If they were 0 and five and Mobley was playing like this, they'd have reason to be excited. You combine that with winning some games like this early and Garland looking pretty, you know, looking decent when he's playing and you know, the, the, everything coming together the way it has so far. 
it's not going to sustain itself, but there's a lot to be excited about. I think if you're a Cavs fan for a change, they have interesting pieces. You know, I they're not going to be. I would be surprised if they can contend for a play-in spot this year. Maybe they'll prove me wrong, but the East be, is just too deep. Yeah, I'd be very surprised at that. And so, you know, I think you you've got to figure out. And these are long-term questions. Although this first one, you got to figure out this year. Is Sexton Garland, is that Sexland backcourt something you want to move forward with? Or, you know, do you need to explore probably sign and trade possibilities um, for Sexton this summer? Uh, and then, you know, this over the next, you know, two or three years, they need to figure out is Allen Mobley, is that a, a tandem that you can be a good team with? Um, and, uh, you know, defensively, it's funny. You know, there's so many concerns about playing the small backcourt defensively. Well, the answer is have two guys who can, you know, cover the entire court just by linking arms and are both crazy mobile and athletic. Uh, Those guys, they're a beast duo defensively, but offensively, it's, you know, it's, it's dicey. Even, you know, I was talking about Allen improvements. Neither one of those guys can shoot a three. Um, and so for Mobley, he's either going to, and, and maybe it ends up being both. I mean, I wouldn't rule this out, but he's either going to have to develop into a legitimate, you know, stretch threat, a guy who can, you know, be a threat shooting threes, or he's going to have to play the five primarily. Um, you know, maybe he's a guy who plays the five primarily and bombs away from threes. And yeah, know, I mean, I think that's the way he truly is a franchise. I mean, the way he becomes the true franchise centerpiece he's got a chance to be is if he's a five who can do that too. Right. Yeah. That's and, where and, that's right. the idealized version of him, where if it all comes together, that's what it looks like. But to your point, he's got to put on a lot of muscle before he can do that. Cause right now he's, you know, he's just not strong enough to play the five anyway, which is why it's good. Right. They got Jaron Allen next to him. He could develop as a four play next to him. It, it's kind of a, from a developmental standpoint, it's as good of a situation as they could hope for. Yeah. And, and if they decide he needs to be a five primarily, I think Jared Allen will have, you know, it's it's not like he'll be hard to move in the trade market. No, um, but again, twenty million we'll, on a flat deal and the with yeah. the cap eventually going up the way it is is going to look fine as it goes along. Yeah, yeah, but that's two or three years down the road. This year is, you know, excitement about Mobley and it, and if they're competitive, that's a bonus. All right, so another team. Uh, this team, I think, might have more staying power than some of these teams we've been talking about. Maybe not. Uh, that's a Charlotte Hornets. Mm. Um, four and one out of the gate. Uh, one despite... overtime loss to the Celtics from five and oh. Terry right. Rozier's not even play. I would right. he play a game maybe. Yeah, he he's got played hurt. one or two games, and PJ Washington's been banged up too. That I believe right. I'm going to say I think they win that game against Boston. The, he he is a crunch time proven crunch time player. I think Cajones that game. Oh, absolutely, Cajones. The Celtics. Factor. The Celtics are missing no a question. couple guys too. Horford didn't play that game, so I mean it's a toss up either yeah, way. But fair. still, I mean they're an overtime game away from five and up. Listen, I just want I I think we should say what everybody is already thinking. This is the Mason Plumley effect. I think we can all just <laughs> well, chalk it up the, to that. You know the, the 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 problem is they, you know, you look at their rotation. You could say they don't have a backup center, but they do. He just has to start and play a bunch of minutes. And that's Mason Plumley. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've been playing when he's been healthy. They've played PJ Washington at center and it's been good. And the thing about Mason Plumley, like you can you can joke about it, but their center position has been so bad the past couple oh, of he's years. He's an upgrade for sure. He's a massive upgrade on what they had before. Like yeah. him and PJ Washington at the center at the center spot is fine. I mean, it's not a huge like home run swing move, but they basically got Mason Plumley for free 
mm-hmm. it at, at on draft night. And, you know, he's a solid starting center and you have PJ Washington playing behind him as a small ball five. OK, yeah, but it's more gonna, than good enough. But if we're talking about the Hornets, you know, there was obviously buzz. Pun intended about the Hornets going into <laughs> going into the season because I mean it, you didn't have to. Uh, I think Wendy was the last one to realize this, but Lamelo Ball has superstar potential. I think Wendy finally you know was there. Hey, are you guys him. watching Tyler Hero? We haven't even got to the. <laughs> well, you know what's uh, funny? It, what's funny about that is that he hasn't even been the story of their season so far. Well, what's funny is I was about to finish my sentence and say, who the hell knew Miles Bridges had superstar potential? There you go. I set you up. You know, I mean, this guy guy has made the leap, another pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, you know, Miles Bridges, like you knew, okay, he shot it well last year. Obviously, he jumps out of the gym. I didn't know he had this kind of ability to, uh, to, to make things happen off the dribble. And so... And look, we'll, you know, it takes more than a week to, you know, to see, to, to declare that this guy is, you know, potential all-star, but man, that's two really fun young pieces to, to build around a mellow, you know, there, there are still times where he's, he's, uh, I would say not exactly attentive defensively. There are still times yeah. when, when the shot selection, <laughs> I, I, I don't think is necessarily, uh, what the coaches want to see or his team. There was one last night, like 10 minutes left in, in, in the game. And they had to, they had to squeak one out against the magic last night. Let's not act like they're just, you know, <laughs> a juggernaut yep. right now, but it was like 10 minutes left in the game and kind of semi transition. He just jacked one up from, you know, 30 feet away. <laughs> and miles bridges was standing underneath the basket. He just threw his arms up. Like, Damn, well, I- <laughs> you know, so there's still some of that, but, I mean, that's two really exciting young players to, to build around. Well, and you mentioned that game last night. So he played 24 minutes in that game against mm-hmm. the Magic. He got benched down the stretch for Ish Smith. In the game against the Celtics, Ime Odoka, after the game, was just like, yeah, we were hunting him on defense, mm-hmm. trying to get him involved in some, in some actions to go at him. So, I mean, it's not like he has been playing out of his mind in their 4-1. and one. Like you said, the guy that's driven this is Miles Bridges at 31 last night, and he looks like a totally different player. Like ever since LaMelo showed up last year, last year they had amazing synergy right away. And LaMelo throwing him lobs down court, it's a yeah. really good fit. But for Miles to come back and be doing this stuff with his athleticism, like he is he has turned himself into a different level of player. And if this sustains and he can keep doing this, like that really to me fundamentally changes their ceiling. If he goes from just being a, a complimentary guy to a guy mm-hmm. that's a, a true building block next to him, like all of a sudden, I, I think you got to look at the Hornets a lot differently if he can keep this up. Yeah. Okay. So I, he he's doubled his shots per game. Mm-hmm. He's gone from nine shots a game to eighteen. He's uh, still shooting forty percent from three on almost double the threes per game. He's gone from four to eight, um, and jumped from thirteen points a game to twenty six. Doubled his scoring. Um, uh, when he was in negotiations for his extension uh, within a couple of weeks ago, I am told that the Hornets' baseline offer was four years, sixty million. Uh, which was 15, 15 a year. And if you look at what Mikhail Bridges, which we've compared him to mm-hmm. during his career, got, which was some people in the league feel that was an overpay. I think, you know. I think you'd have gotten like it from this. somebody next summer. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, once that deal is signed, he cannot sign for $30 million less. We could debate about where they were. But now you look right. at this guy and, you know, again, we're a week in, but he's playing this kind of level unsigned headed for unrestricted free agency um no restrict not he, he doesn't what i say 
You said unrestricted. You're correct. I am wrong. Yeah. Restricted free agency. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I would say he was pretty smart to turn down four years 60. <laughs> I, I think he's going to make a hell of a lot more than that. Yeah, I mean, nobody, I, there are very few people in the league, if any, who would have given him the same money as Mikael Bridges or thought he was the same player as Mikael Bridges 10 days yeah, ago. Yeah, but once Mikael, but, once Mikael Bridges signs for 90, you can't no, sign for 60. No, I'm not. So. Yeah, if, no, for sure. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying, to your point, even 10 days ago, people would have said Mikael Bridges was a better player. And if Miles Bridges keeps this up for the entire season, that will flip. Like that's look, that, how much that, of a that was Charlotte's base. That was Charlotte's baseline offer. They may have come up, but th- but but they were never really close. After you know, th- th- they were so far apart. They yeah. you know they weren't. The there, point is so. the point is if he kept playing like this and he signed that contract, that would have immediately become one of the best contracts of the league. So, yeah, and, and so look, he, I mean, I I think it's a little much to think. Okay, this guy is gonna average a really efficient twenty six and, and sure. eight. But if he is a you know, if he's a bona fide, like solid number two score. Yeah, if he's scoring, 20, also, if he's scoring yeah. 20 a game and shooting 38 percent from three with his athleticism, that's a big time player. Yeah, especially if, you know, Hayward stays healthy. And then if Rozier can come back, like suddenly you're looking and saying, man, that is a pretty potent lineup. When you run P.J. Well, Washington as a five with that group, you play end of games like they're all, you know, Lamelo is six, seven. Rozier is the smallest guy out there at six, three or six, four. They're they're all athletic. They can run around like that. That's a pretty fun, interesting, you know, late game lineup you can go to, too. So very quietly last year, how many 50, 40, 90 players have there been in league history? A dozen under under 50? 20. I'll look up the exact number um, while you're talking. You know, last year he was 50.3 percent from the field, 40 percent from three, 87 percent from the line. So if you're. James Borrego and the Hornets, you're like, maybe a guy who does things that efficiency should get a little bit higher usage and see if he can handle it. And that is what has happened so far. And and again, Uh, small sample size, his usage has soared and his efficiency is actually better. Yeah. Like his field, he's over 90% from the line so far, you know? Yeah. And, and he's, he's, you know, right there at 40%, 39.5 from three. But he's shooting sixty-two point three percent on twos, and they're not—you know—they're not all lobs. Now right. he, he's going to catch his fair share of those, but a lot of these are him attacking off the dribble. Um. Okay. Uh. The last thing we wanted to say—I uh, don't even know if this fits into our theme, but it was just too good, and I just had to hear what McMahon <laughs> said about it—is the Dallas Mavericks leadership council. <laughs> well, and, and and convincing Jay Kidd to play every guy in the season opener. And so, listen, my daughter's, you know, she's got tryouts for seventh grade uh, basketball, first year of school basketball, got tryouts next week. And this is something I'm going to go to her coaches with and suggest. <laughs> Serious you know, question, McMahon. Why did the players insist on everyone playing in that game? Uh, the, 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 the honest answer is because the culture there was so bad in recent years that I mean, listen, they it's kumbaya. Okay. That they're trying to have as much of a kumbaya vibe as possible. And that's like as much as like the jokes are gonna fly and Jim Boylan got a lot of play this this week on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Like I get what J Kid's trying to do. The, your stars, the franchise player, the guy you hope is a star, and the rest of the locker room really felt disconnected from the previous head coach. You know, Rick Carlisle is an ex, a brilliant X's and O's guy whose people skills 
um, in the sixties remain a work in progress. <laughs> um, uh, well, say what the leadership council is first, because I mean, this has been going on for the NBA for decades. Yeah. I mean, but it's basically three guys, uh, Luca Porzingis and, and Hardaway who occasionally meet with Jay Kidd just to discuss. And, and you look at Jay Kidd's recent history or his only history as a head coach, you know, he flamed out pretty quickly in two spots and was known as a dictator. Um, so he needs to change that, especially like you don't come in. It's one thing to be a dictator when you're take over a rebuilding situation uh, in Milwaukee, like you did. It's another thing when you've got an established MVP candidate on the rod, like that wasn't going to fly. You had to be, you know, anti Rick in terms of personality. So he's trying to be hey, rah, rah and fun and great vibes. Um, so, I mean, I, it's funny and I understand it, you know, like I, I get what he's trying to do. And essentially if Luca likes it, then it's a good idea. Luca likes it. He's <laughs> okay. He, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's say no more. <laughs> yeah. And look, when Luca signed his supermax, and you know, they fly everybody over to Slovenia and hold the press conference there. You know, he, he's asked like, well, you know, he was with the Slovenian national team. That's why. No, no, this was the, the press conference was after that, all that he, he waited till oh. after the Olympics. Oh, okay. um, yeah. Because he wanted to just focus on Slovenian national okay. team. He, you know, so okay. this was, they flew everybody over there, you know, hold a big press conference, big celebration. And, you know, I don't remember the exact question, but he basically says, Hey, that Slovenian national team, man, the chemistry in that team is so great. That's the one thing I wish we had in Dallas. So, you know, it's going to, and listen, if you can get, they've got Luca and KP at least on the same page, you know, they're liking each other's Instagram posts or even posting pictures of each other now. And, you know, they're trying to make <laughs> things work. They're, they're like, seriously, it, it got to the point last year That's where it's a classic uh, first month of the season thing, you know, no, I know to, it totally to be is. Honest. But if you get them in the same room, and, yep. you know, I mean, you get them on the it's same It's an admirable page. attempt to try to reset the right. reset what was an ugly situation. Right. Now, you know, the leadership council also lobbied for Dwight Powell to, to be in the starting lineup. Well, if you're going to do that, you sure as hell can't be trying to force feed Porzingis post-ups and mid-range shots. Well, this is my be- thing. I've covered teams that have had this leadership committee before. and you know, it's one of those things where the coach calls practice and the, the committee comes and we're like, listen, guys, legs are dead. Yeah. We need to take today off. Or they like, Hey, if you let us stay in Denver or not Denver, when they, let's, if you let us stay in Phoenix an extra night here in two weeks, you know, we'll come in and do this there, you yeah. know, or, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Hey, how do you guys feel if we, you know, to do this uh, as far as lineup changes i mean certainly maybe you can salt the top player certainly but i don't know if you should be putting to a vote lineup changes yeah but you know what i hear you also like you said uh, like let's the fact that porzingis and, and hardware are there like you're trying to create a team vibe i get all that let's be honest luca if he if luca wants say on lineups if he wants say on personnel like he hadn't really thrown his weight around like he could but he's going to have that say and 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 he should and it it would be bad coaching not to uh you know make sure that the lines of communication are opened as wide as possible now you know x's and o's wise i 
I'm very befuddled by it, some of the things that, uh, that, that, that they're trying to do. It's early, um, you know, but they had going in the season. You know, it's funny. I talked about Porzingis being healthy and happy going in the season. Well, <laughs> a few games in, he's a few games in, he's inefficient and injured. So, <laughs> you know, not, not quite as great. Um, and, you know, they're two and one, but it's a, it's not a very pretty two and one. Uh, I, w- I would say they're going to and have they their play fair- tonight. So we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, they play the Spurs tonight. No Porzingis. Uh, you know, the, the leadership council, like, I don't, I don't see any real, I think it's funny. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad move by kid. I don't think there's any, any real, you know, any downside. I think, you know, making them feel like they have a voice uh, was a smart move. Just having um, Luca and KP working together on something, honestly, isn't yeah. a bad idea. Uh, again, I'm when I look at the Mavericks, I'm much more concerned that uh, it's pretty much the same personnel, you know, and I think that the changes they've made offensively are all bad changes. Seems what a little is What's the leadership council think of you, McMahon? Let's have a vote on whether we're going to reban McMahon. I think you would get a consensus in there. <laughs> <laughs> Luca and KP maybe, but Hardaway, he seems like he would like. You Actually, know. Uh, you know what? KP is, as far as a media perspective, he's a he's a treat to deal with. Super nice guy. KP might be my only vote. I think I get along with Hardaway fine. Luca, uh, Luca <laughs> has veto power. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if Luca <laughs> knows my name yet. <laughs> I'm sure he does. Luca is uh, he's not a fan of the uh, of the media. I say that. Yeah, I've uh, I spoke to him when he was a rookie. And I could tell he was just counting the minutes, seconds till he could get out of, <laughs> yeah, get out of yeah, there. Yeah, right. Um, all right. Well, so that's um, that's what we've we've seen early on here, and um, we'll see how it holds. We'll see how many of these come crashing down by the end of the weekend. But by the uh, way, I think we should have a I think we should have a leadership council on this podcast. Wendy, you yeah. and I will be on the council, and uh, okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll just tell Bontemps what we want him to do. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Bontemps did have to help us with our expense reports. We're a little rusty in filing expense reports because <laughs> we haven't been on the road. And um, Bontemps handled helped us with that. He's very That's proficient. The most, it's the most creative writing that he does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast. We will talk to you guys early next week. Adios, amigos. <laughs>